Welcome to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information from industry leaders. Hello, I'm Diane Estabrook, and welcome to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast. My distinguished guest today is Linda Freed, MD, Dean of Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, and the director of the Robert and Butler Columbia Aging Center. Dean Freed is an internationally known expert on frailty, disability, and cardiovascular disease in older adults, and she has done extensive research on social isolation and loneliness, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Dean Freed, thank you so very much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Now, social isolation and loneliness have become a global concern and almost akin to a global pandemic. How did that happen? Uh, well, it's a very important question, and I think there are a number of reasons. One is that uh, certainly scientists have learned a lot about these areas and been able to describe them and, and bring us to a higher level of understanding about why they are so core um, to whether people have a sense of well-being in their lives and appreciating the importance of that and learning about both what causes um, the challenges associated with isolation and loneliness, even distinguishing them has enabled us to appreciate better what people are experiencing. The second thing is that I think there truly has been um, a, a substantial rise in both isolation and loneliness, and I should distinguish the two. So social isolation is a, a measure, a count of the number of people who, who an individual interacts with in a day or a week. Um, whether they live alone, whether they see other people in their lives. Loneliness, it, rather than being a count, is an, uh, a, an experience, a feeling of not having your core needs for social connection met. So those are two related but also two very distinct issues. And what we have seen over the last 20 years is a dramatic rise in both social isolation and in loneliness. And you can have one and not the other. In other words, you can be lonely and not necessarily socially isolated, correct? That's correct. You can see lots of people, but have a sense that the things that matter to you in a relationship are not being met and that it's painful. Loneliness is has been described as a, an experience of psychological pain as a result of that. Is loneliness and isolation um, cultural? I mean, in other words, are we seeing some cultures in the U.S. and in other countries um, that feel less lonely or less isolated than others? I, I think it is, although it is also increasing in many cultures of the world, perhaps as a result of the circumstances of our societies and people's lives. But um, certainly in the West and in Japan, um, in societies that are aging, but also have advanced economies with, with a lot of people migrating from one city to another for jobs, with a lot of <clears throat> um, loss of multi-generational families uh, living together or in close connection. In 
environments where really there is not an opportunity for building relationships, um, including because of uh, the way housing is designed or lack of sidewalks in in uh, in suburbs. All these things that have actually been designed perhaps for good reason, but have unintended consequences of not enabling people to connect um, are are worsening the experience of loneliness for many age groups and and of course the these effects are quite profound for older people but they're also profound for young people interesting now as a geriatrician you look at the physical or the health aspects of aging so you're looking at frailty and other comorbidities but you also look at the social aspects of aging too and you know we're talking mm -hmm. about loneliness and social isolation is there evidence you talked about the pain but is there evidence that loneliness and isolation can contribute or lead to poor health outcomes so i think the evidence now is quite strong that the answer is yes that both isolation and loneliness are associated with um, poor health outcomes for people. Um, there is a summary statistic that chronic loneliness, not just feeling lonely one day or for in a week, but, but loneliness that persists for a long period of time has health consequences uh, of the order of smoking a half a pack of cigarettes a day for many years. Um, it's not the same mechanisms, but the outcomes seem to be of similar weight. The health consequences um, are significant in terms of causing uh, increased risk of anxiety, even depression. Um, loneliness has been well described to actually cause chronic inflammation in the body, which actually leads to or worsens diseases like heart disease and stroke. Uh, so that's quite significant. And then um, there's a vicious cycle that loneliness particularly kicks off, if you will, which is uh, when it's quite persistent, people develop a, a kind of negative view of of even the interactions they are having and interpret them in in more negative ways than others in the same interaction might which leads to worsening of a sense of loneliness so on the flip side though can poor health lead to loneliness and isolation and, and maybe give me some examples so we believe that it can. Um, an obvious way, of course, is that if someone is in poor health and they are not healthy well enough to get out and see friends or engage with other people, that can increase both isolation and loneliness, understandably. Certainly, the COVID-19 pandemic has done that for many people, um, even without being sick from COVID, but certainly with being sick. Things like hearing loss or vision loss, which impair interaction with others, can can certainly do that as well. Yeah, and I can imagine, I can only imagine that the COVID-19 pandemic has made the situation even worse. Yes, um, it definitely has. And, and certainly for older adults who were 
in a position of needing to isolate, particularly frail older adults or those in nursing homes were really cut off from contact with with people in person for quite a long time. Um, and that made it very difficult. But I think um, there's a lot of evidence that young adults were hit even harder by this, by this kind of isolation. Mm-hmm. We sort of talked about, you know, the health implications um, and, you know, you can be lonely, but not isolated and vice versa. But is loneliness an individualized problem? Can it mean different things to different people? Um, I think the answer is likely yes. I think first you need to say start with the fact that there are many different kinds of loneliness, mm-hmm. and that's important to understand too. There's the loneliness of not having someone that you're intimate with. Mm-hmm. There's the loneliness of not having meaningful, satisfying connections with family or friends. But there are other kinds of loneliness also. So uh, a third kind of loneliness that's been described is the sense uh, that people in in our 21st century society seem to be having an increasingly of not feeling connected to society as a whole or their community, not feeling like there's a place for them in the community or a way to, to work with others for the common good. That's a, been described as a public or collective loneliness, which leads to real disaffection. And then there are other kinds of loneliness which have been described as an existential loneliness. Certainly people at the end of life often manifest this kind of existential loneliness of what does life mean and my life is ending and how do I grapple with that? And that's a deep feeling of loneliness. So I think... Um, understanding that there are different kinds of loneliness can also help us as people think about what the causes and the solutions could be. Our audience of care providers deal with seniors daily, and, and many of whom are suffering from social isolation and loneliness. A lot of these people are aging in place in their own homes, or, or they might actually be aging in a um, an assisted living facility. Um, if If someone suspects that a patient is lonely, Um, how should they approach the subject with that person? Well, I think um, start by asking the person if they feel lonely. It is a feeling. Mm -hmm. And if they feel lonely, if they, you know, by knowing that there are these different kinds of loneliness, to ask people to think about what's causing the loneliness or what might assuage it. Um. You know, I I think the prescription, (laughs) if you will, is going to vary by what the cause is. So, um, you know, I I, I don't mean to be glib about this, but but people without partners might, who want a partner and are really feeling lonely for that lack, would, would want different solutions than someone who wants to be socially engaged in their community and doesn't see a place for themselves. And I'm guessing that when it comes to intervention, there isn't a one-size-fits-all intervention, correct? There isn't. Um, but I think the general goal of um, of figuring out what the desired solutions would be um, is the first thing. The second thing is um, how to accomplish that. In some people, 
they need some skill development and building effective relationships. I think that's for a, a, a small subset of people who are lonely, but sometimes that kind of clinical counseling is um, or behavioral therapy is important. And then for other people, they actually um, may need mental health counseling, both because of the consequences of the loneliness leading to depression or high anxiety or a very negative um, perception of things, but also, for example, in the instance of existential loneliness towards the end of life, really needing emotional support in, in that counseling. So that's a, a second tier. And then the third tier is what the potential solutions could be. So um, there are, for people who are homebound or um, in uh, a long-term care setting, there are new programs being developed for online connection with others. Um, Sarah Saja at Cornell has been a leader in developing new programs for people to get connected with others and to build friendships. Um, there are a no number of other approaches being designed. AARP has a new program, um, Connect to Effect, mm -hmm. which people may find helpful. And then there are um, programs in the community that people can be um, connected to. In, in New York City, there's a fabulous program called Bloomingdale Aging in Place, which is a um, community-located program uh, formed by older adults living in that community who have built a substantial program of shared activities um, and shared friendships that result. So there are a number of different approaches that can be taken. Yeah, and we talked about one size fits all, and it sounds like what you know somebody might do well doing a Zoom class or doing something online, somebody else might do well with some sort of in-person um, mm -hmm. touch point, correct? That's true. One thing that's turned out to be very useful for many older adults, certainly, as well as younger people, is, is getting trained in using the internet. Mm -hmm. effectively. And programs like the Older Adults Technology Services Program is really skilled in training older people uh, to become quite proficient in using the internet and the computer. Is it difficult to get, um, particularly when you're dealing with somebody who is older, is it difficult for them to admit that they're, that they're lonely? Acknowledging it? You know, that's a really important question, and I, 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 I don't know data on that. I think it might depend on how long the person has been lonely. Mm -hmm. um, I think chronic loneliness leads to um, perhaps a, a lower recognition of what's going on than more acute loneliness. But I, I don't know data uh, on which to base my answer. But it is a very important issue. And it sounds yeah. like it's something that a lot of people don't recognize. Right. Now, the people who are recognizing it a lot are clinicians and healthcare providers because there's certainly in the U.S., there's been a tremendous rise of 
um, very lonely people making appointments to see their doctor or their nurse, in large part to assuage loneliness, to feel human connection. And so there's been a real need within medical care delivery settings to find approaches to assist people in handling and hopefully decreasing their loneliness um, in more appropriate and useful ways. Is that a question that that most physicians, primary care um, doctors will ask uh, a patient when they come into the office or when they make a house call, are you feeling lonely? Because sometimes they'll ask you, do you feel safe? Are they asking that question? Do you feel lonely? So I, I, I don't know that there's data on how common a practice it is, but I think increasingly clinicians are sensitive to the fact that this is a significant issue for people and for their health and are increasingly asking about it. And it sounds like it's something that home care and home health care providers should be doing as well. Absolutely. Very important. Really great points, Dean Freed. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. My guest has been Linda Freed, MD, Dean of Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. I'm Diane Estabrook. Thanks for listening to McKnight's Newsmakers podcast. We hope you'll join us again. 